Welcome to Fran Path Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer. And I'm Brittany Bodie. And together we are Fran Path Consulting. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Making Sense of It All with Jesse Stakes. So I first had Brittany Bode and Sam Schweitzer on the show earlier this year to talk about franchising. We talked about their business, FranPath Consulting, and what they do for their clients, how they find franchises and business models that best fit their needs and how they want to run a business. But I felt like we left a lot on the table. So this is our second bite at the apple, if you will. The market has absolutely changed this year. Interest rates have increased and inflation has made people make choices that they didn't have to make a few years ago. With that said, enjoy my conversation with the partners at FranPath Consulting, Brittany Bode and Samantha Schweitzer. Let's jump into it. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. <clears throat> so what's been going on with you guys since we last spoke? I think it's almost, it's probably been a good, probably five or six months. I mean, it's, there's a lot that's been going on in the, in the, in the financial world. So I got to imagine that impacts you guys. How's, how's life treated you? Pretty well. I mean, I think we've at least done a quarter of business since the last time we talked to you. Franchising is as hot as ever. I think last time we came in here, we were telling you about we've seen an uptick. Uh, during COVID, we saw an uptick and it continued even with economic talks. Obviously, there's more of that going on now than ever. And there have been some definite changes in lending and financials and things of that nature. We've been able to be so busy that we've added an additional consultant since the last time we talked to you. So we've grown our team pretty exponentially. Um it, honestly, we've just really seen people coming in that want to take control. There has been this feeling, I think, in the world at large of, I'm not in control of what's going on. I can't control my stock portfolio. I can't control the market. I can't control these things in real estate. And we've had an overwhelming amount of educated investors that are reaching out and that are finding us. We're not having to look for them, which is another kind of big change for us. We're not having to to go out seeking these people out. They're finding us and they're saying, I want an investment that I have control over because a lot of things right now in the world feel out of our control. And so I think that's probably the biggest change Brad, if you have anything to add to that, certainly, but that's probably the biggest change we've seen. Yeah, I would agree completely. I mean, when we think about just our client pool, right? I mean, you you think about what the topic of conversation is. I would say the word recession has been thrown around over the last couple of years but more heavily now, more than ever. And I think people assume when there is a recession going on or kicking off, that that means that our industry slows down and less people are investing in businesses, but we're seeing it's the exact opposite. 
we are busier than ever. Like Sam said, I think people are just looking at it from a different strategy now. Maybe they're in it full time because unfortunately they lost their jobs or maybe that they're looking to invest in something that may be different than what they had anticipated before. So we're seeing the landscape of what some people are investing in change. And then we're seeing the pool of people that are making those investments broader, really. Sure. So that stuff is exciting to us. I've always found that when things kind of tick down and we start to talk about recession or we start to talk about uh, economic downturn, whatever whatever you want to call it, all of a sudden, the things that drive efficiency, the, the things that drive, that drive cost effectiveness for customers, for consumers, or even for small businesses, those things start to sell really, really well. And people start to pay attention to how am I spending my dollars, not just you know, not just the thousands of dollars of the big bills, they start looking at the small things too. Are you guys seeing some of those smaller service, maybe service oriented or even product oriented businesses? Are people starting to, to get really interested in investing in those types of things? Yeah. So that's funny. Yeah. So funny that you bring that up, Britt, I'll let you do it. But we literally just came from recording our own podcast. And at the top of our podcast, that's what we were talking about was some of those drivers. So I'll let you dig in, Britt. But yeah, it it's definitely top of mind. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there are services that people will always need. I mean, we talked about some on the last podcast, like a restoration concept. Mother Nature doesn't care what goes on in our economy. But then there are other services that if you need this service, you are never going to be able to provide this service to yourself. We just were on a podcast with a sugaring concept. It's an alternative to a wax. You know, okay. that is something that you need a professional esthetician or cosmetologist to be able to provide the service. And so we see people that love investing in businesses like that because it's small footprint, small team, recurring revenue, membership-based model. So I think one of the things that we're seeing right now is people are willing to make investments into brick and mortar concepts in industries that will always warrant brick and mortar businesses. Amazon is never going to be able to take over those service-based businesses. So that stuff is exciting to us. And we're seeing more people invest in those service-based businesses that may have a brick and mortar component. Fair enough. Sam, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I think we're also hearing, we used to say Amazon proof. So Britt and I have been in this business long enough that Amazon proof is kind of what we would always say. What if, What is Jeff Bezos not going to get involved in? You know, and it used to be more this dirty jobs situation. So probably not going to do dumpsters. They're not going to be able to spray for mosquitoes. But now we're talking more too about AI proof. Because three years ago, if we were having this conversation two years ago, heck, the last time we talked, we didn't talk about AI. And the tech world has been really brought to its knees. It's been upset and it's been a very rapid thing. And there are jobs that we thought people would always do. And now there's kind of been this movement towards that. So things like sugaring, waxing, you know, spray tans, those types of things that people have to physically do a service they have to provide that AI also can't get involved in. And there is still obviously, you know, pest control, lawn mowing, house cleaning. Until somebody tells me differently, I don't see AI taking that over. I don't see, you know, robots or, or things, chat GPT can't do that. So I think we're also having conversations in that realm when we're looking at the recession, when people are looking at what's going to be this next big thing. 
it's almost like we're moving backwards a little bit into what do people have to be involved in? Where's the people to people interaction? Yeah, I feel like the last three months of conversations that I've had with people through my show and even even in my, you know, in my everyday life, um, AI has been brought up or automation has been brought up no matter the industry, no matter, you know, what walk of life, it's starting to be part of the vernacular. It's starting to be part of the conversation. And, you know, to your point, even aesthetic procedures, uh, some of the aesthetic laser companies are starting, their their next big thing is not going to be a new laser, but it's going to be a robotic arm that actually does the laser procedures instead of an esthetician. Um there's, you know, manufacturing, they've been working on automation and robotics for years, but it's, but it's exponentially gotten better. Sensors have improved. Um, you know, you brought up, you brought up low and mo- or low, mowing lawns, mowing lawns. I mean, you talk about, they can geofence a lawn now. And if they have, and if they have a, a, a machine that has GPS enabled capacity, it can mow your lawn by just geofencing it and, and using the cutout. So it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy because I feel like we're living through the Jetsons or we're starting to live through some of the TV shows or some of the cartoons that we used to watch as children. We truly are. And we really think AI will enhance franchise opportunities. I don't know if I will ever feel comfortable with a robot giving me a facial, but if AI software can help the esthetician determine what I need based on my skin tone and my texture of my skin and all of these things. And then I'm in, you know, because then I get more out of that facial. So I think some of those things will help businesses get to that next level to provide a really customized approach for the client too. And that piece of AI is exciting to us. In addition to the marketing support that it can provide, it can write copy for you or it can help with determining how you want to do some of your digital marketing efforts. Those things will help enhance business owners' experience too. No doubt. Are you guys experimenting with with AI at all as far as helping you with your business? Oh, yeah. we're um, So we have a marketing team. We own a marketing company that helps us with the lead generation side of our business and also just kind of getting our name out there. Franchising is a, it's a weird space. There's a few players in it that people know, but typically unlike other spaces in other industries where there's massive players, you think of, you know, business as a whole, you have the Mark Cubans of the world out there face first. There's hundreds of people there. Franchising doesn't really have, but a few people that come to mind. And so we have a marketing team that we work with. They are, our CMO is just geeked out on AI. It has like, sometimes we're like, bring it back just a little bit. Like, I don't need, I don't need robot Sam corresponding with people online. But what <laughs> we've been able to see is they can take the cadence of my voice and using our podcast, they can replicate the way that we would answer questions. Um, they can replicate the way Brittany would speak as opposed to the way I would speak. We also have seen things by using titles and emails, just the increase in open rates on emails we send and newsletters we send when chat GPT gets involved with choosing a title versus, you know, we do an A-B test where we as humans, what we think is great, and then data and chat GPT, what it thinks is great, we can get a better opening rate on our emails. So we're definitely experimenting on a lot of different levels there and figuring out 
what the best way for us to use AI is. But what we do know is that we're definitely not not going to use it. And we're going to continue to push forward at what pace, you know, we don't, I don't want to ever replicate the human connection. And our typical client isn't super excited about robot communication. So <laughs> that type of stuff, but we're, we're playing with some stuff, Jesse, that's it's called agent GPT, where essentially you use chat GPT, and then it trains its own agents to take over different parts of of business and different things there. So essentially it replicates itself, which is one kind of terrifying to people that are maybe technology adverse, like Brittany and I <laughs> tend to be a little bit, I would say, but I, um, it's exciting. It's exciting to see what we'll be able to do and how it influences our budget and what we're able to, what we're able to expand into. I had I had somebody the other day tell me it's not going to be AI that takes your job or takes your profession. It's going to be the human that utilizes AI that will take your job or take your profession. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. This is a rabbit hole we could go down for hours. I mean, this is yeah. it's. I mean, it's fascinating to me as well, and it's just there's so much to talk about there. But I really wanted to talk to you guys today about franchising as an investment, and you know. As you said, there's been so much that's happened in the last six months, and you guys have are, are are positioned perfectly for right now. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about comp- kind of comparing them to some other in- other investment vehicles or other things that people have utilized historically to invest their money. Um, I'll start with you know just your 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 standard 401k. You know, people have people have always kind of thought about a 401k or some sort of an IRA as a way to save for retirement, and they and they think that put by putting money away they're going to be they're going to be good in their golden years. But what are you guys seeing? What are you, from your perspective when you look at it through your through your lens? What do you think about that? I'm a big proponent of diversify, 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 always. I've always been a huge proponent of have some real estate, have some 401k, have this, have that. The challenge that I see with the money that's in my 401k and IRA is at the end of the day, I don't have a whole heck of a lot of control in it. Sure, I get to work with my financial advisor once a month to decide, do I want to invest in this or that? But I'm not an expert. I am not an investor. Um, you know, I'm just trying to make well-educated decisions at the advice of my financial advisor. And you know, my financial guy tells me, "Hey, it can yield you ten percent on average in the market." The thing that I don't like about a 401k is you're kind of maxed at that on average, and you don't have the level of control over it that you do with a business when you invest. In a business, you make all the decisions, you have the ultimate control, you can scale beyond that 10%. But the great thing about investing in a franchise, you can actually leverage your 401k and do a rollover plan in order to fund a business penalty-free. So we see people that are using that 401k or a portion of it that they've grown to be able to take that wealth even to the next level by investing in themselves in a franchise. So they're essentially investing in that 401k, or excuse me, they're investing the money from the 401k into the franchise. Do they have to pay taxes at that point? Or is it something to where that's still tax deferred? So it is a way to use tax-free money to make a post-tax purchase. This is a loophole in the United States tax code. It's called ROBS. Ironically, you're robbing a 401k um, rollover for business startup. And it's it's in the IRX 
tax code. It's not illegal. It's going to sound illegal when we explain it, but it allows you to leverage your funds in there. And instead of having stock in the stock market where you're typically doing that, you buy stock in your own business. And so instead of betting on Apple or Peloton or Pepsi, you're betting on Brittany and Sam and you're holding stock in your own company. And then you also don't have to pay back monthly payments the same way you would with a loan or an SBA. It's actually not due until you sell the business or until I believe that you're 55 or 65 and a half. I'm not a financial expert. We work with a bunch of them, but rollovers for business startups are probably the number one way that we are seeing clients fund businesses today, leveraging the 401ks that they've built in the course of their career. And you don't have to roll over the entire 401k. You have $2.4 million in retirement. You want to buy a half a million dollar business. You can roll over half a million dollars and start that business. And instead of paying 44% tax or whatever you're going to do, you're not discounting it at all. That's that's actually a really cool way to way to start a business that I bet you a lot of people don't think about. They don't th- their mind doesn't go there. No, it, it's amazing to me how many people don't know it. And even CPAs sometimes will have clients that are talking to their CPAs and they'll be like, I don't know that you should do that. I don't know that you should. I don't know that that's legal. I'm not sure I understand it. And so we work with some very talented funding experts that are able to explain it and and walk through why it's not illegal and walk through the tax code with them and help them understand. But there are many people that just simply aren't educated and utilizing that. No doubt. Well, and that's why it helps to use professionals, right? Amen to that. <laughs> so what about investing in startups right now? I mean, when you guys look at people that are, you know, they're in a situation, like you said before, where somebody's lost their job, they, you know, they think that they do, they do X really, really well. Um, so they think they want to do that versus versus looking at the franchise concept and looking at something like what you offer. What would you say to those people right now? You know, I think the challenge with startups is you don't have systems and support. You have to reinvent the wheel yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think when you are a first-time business owner, there's so much natural fear, fear of unknown. It's a big investment. Whether you go startup or whether you go franchising, it's an investment of your time, money. It's a lifestyle change. You don't have that paycheck if you're quitting your job. What I love about franchising over the startup is you can do both. When you do a startup, you have to be in that full time because there is not systems process support. With a franchise, you could keep your job if you choose and do a franchise and you don't have to come up with a logo, a name. You don't have to determine what type of um, payroll to use or accountants or attorneys. You don't have to do any of it. You don't have to come up with your own marketing strategy. You don't have to come up with who do you recruit and how do you pay them. With a franchise system, they help bridge that gap. So that way you can come out of the gate even faster than if you were in a startup. I got to imagine it's the same. I, the other thing that I was going to ask you guys about is when somebody's looking at buying an existing business, when they, you know, something that's profitable, but something that's, you know, still independent. Um, do you see people comparing that right now? Or do you see people that are, you know, by the time they get to you, they've already kind of been sold on the con- the concept of franchising? No, we come up against existing businesses 
all of the time. People are trained. I think the Grant Cardones of the world, right, have trained you to go 10x and you're going to maximize an existing business or you buy a distressed asset. And that's what that's kind of ingrained that type of thinking. People want to latch onto it. And I think also if you're looking at people that have lost their job or they want to move into something, that existing revenue base, however small it may be or whatever multiple they're paying for it, is easier to stomach than the unknown of a new franchise. Now, we have franchise business resales as well with audited, fantastic audited financials. Those are in our portfolio. Um, But a lot of our clients, when we're speaking to them, they want to build an asset. So they don't want to pay a premium on the front side for that asset. They want to be commanding a premium on the backside. And so it takes a little bit of guts to say, we're starting at zero. Actually, we're starting negative because we invested X amount of dollars in this business. That takes a special person to be able to do that. Um, and some people aren't ready to do it. And I think for those people, existing businesses are fantastic. There's plenty of things out there. There's plenty of opportunity. But if people are looking to truly build wealth and and to get and to maximize the multiple at the end of the day, if they're going to sell that business, a new business startup and franchising is a it's really unmatched it's an unmatched way to go no doubt no doubt what other challenges are you guys seeing that you know things that other people wouldn't think about but because you see it every single day what are the things that you see as you know whether it's whether it's things that people are comparing as far as investment opportunities or just just the things right now where people the the barriers to entry i guess where where people are considering franchising or Option B. Mm-hmm. The other two things that we haven't talked about is the job and real estate. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll start with the job and I'll let Sam cover real estate. You know, people feel like if I'm going to make a business investment, I have to choose A or B. But I mentioned earlier, you can have both. And I think the thing that we always hear from people is the job is the safe bet. The job, you know, my paycheck, it's consistent. I can count on it. But when we're in a recession, unfortunately, there are many people that are losing their jobs and they don't have that level of control. So I think educating our clients that you don't have to have that battle of I have to choose one or the other. You can build that soft off ramp in a corporate America is a big part of what we do of helping provide that education that you can have both. Sam? I think. I agree with Brittany on that one big time. The job is the paycheck, the W-2, feeling like you have to ditch it is huge. Real estate is another one. And we touched on it a little bit with the inconsistencies and where we're at in the market. And, you know, all you can see in the news in the last week is the Airbnb economy and how that's going and some of the some of the things that are bottoming out. Now, real estate is always that second investment, right? You're in the stock market, you have your own home, and now I've been on the Bigger Pockets website. I've been doing this. I'm, I'm looking through all these opportunities. Real estate is the next thing that you have to do to be a wealthy individual in the United States of America. And I agree. Real estate is a, an incredible vehicle to wealth. I think real estate is, is a great way to earn wealth, to, but it's a long play. You're typically not. We, we've seen a few house flippers come out and do a great job, but they're few and far between. Real estate is the long game. A lot of our clients want something more tangible and something they can influence in the short term. 
are probably our biggest hurdle. The biggest thing we come up against is people don't think about franchising. We're simply not in the conversation. That's the biggest hurdle for me is that people just don't know what they don't know. And so we unfortunately don't get involved in the conversation of building wealth. It is, it's a, it's a disservice to me that people do to their financial clients that, you know, just in general, people don't think of business ownership unless they have the million dollar idea themselves. So what we want to do is we want to put franchises in the conversation. So when you think of building wealth, you think of, I am going to put money in my 401k, my company's matching that. Good. That's smart. I'm going to buy a home and I'm going to grow equity in that home. Great. That's smart. And when you're ready, you can guess what? Do a home equity line of credits, finance business. You can roll over your 401k. You can use, you can leverage different things like the SBA. And then you can grow a business and you could have equity in that business. That's where we want people to really start to think about us. Our goal for Brittany and I is put us in the conversation, you know, put us in coach. We want to talk to people about what that looks like. Well, and I think you guys do a great job of promoting yourselves and and, and beginning to educate the market on that. You know, just to piggyback on that, I feel like I feel like you're 100% correct. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact, just what you said, people have a financial advisor, or they're told from a very early age that they should have a financial advisor. But guess what a financial advisor sells? They sell, you know, they sell funds, they sell individual stocks, they sell different, different investment, quote unquote, products. They don't sell them into franchising. They don't sell real estate. So, but it's but to your point, somebody they're always told the American dream is to own a home. So someone out goes goes and buys a house. Now I have my own opinion on a house a little bit sometimes because I do feel like a house is also your largest expense in your life as well. Aside from children, your house is the second largest expense. I mean, you're going to pay taxes. You've got repairs. You've got you've got tremendous bills that come with that asset. And so, depending on where that market is in the home market, or in the, as far as home prices. When you really take take into account all the money that you've put into that piece of real estate, all the interest that you've put into that, you may or may not make money in the long run. You might feel really good about yourself because you made 40% compared to what you bought it for. But did you really, when you start adding up all of those repair bills and those tax bills and the interest and everything else, maybe, maybe not. So I would argue sometimes that you're, that you guys as offering business ownership, offering cash flow, offering equity in that business may even, you know, leapfrog one or maybe even both of those in some cases, if they're in a position to own a business. That being said, I'm involved in the financial markets. That's what I do for my day job. And I'm seeing things like lending starting to tighten up tremendously for everybody. It's not just on the bottom side for, for for low credit. It's not just those folks who can't put money in. It's even with the people that are willing to put 40% down on certain business transactions, you're starting to see lending guidelines tighten up across the board. Are you guys seeing that as well? Are you guys seeing that impacting people that are coming to you? You know, we're seeing higher interest rates and lending tightening. I think we have two things that work to our advantage. The first would be we've got great funding partners. 
you know, that understand what lenders to turn to that specialize in franchise funding. So that's a piece that definitely helps because they know how to position franchising to get them in front of banks that truly understand and will support lending for SBA for franchising. So let's they, talk about that for a second. I don't mean to cut you off, but but I think people don't understand that there is a difference when you are when you are doing an SBA loan or a franchise loan in general, that looks a lot different than if you're doing a real estate transaction or if you're doing even just an, a line of credit or anything else. Can you tell my audience a little bit about what that looks like when somebody is actually doing an SBA loan to fund a franchise or or a fr- like a franchise specialty loan? Mm-hmm. Um, we see a couple of things. So our clients are working with people that specialize in franchise funding and they go out and they shop multiple banks on their behalf. We kind of compare it to ice cream. So you may have one bank that likes, you know, mint chocolate chip and another bank that likes strawberry. So they're going out to all the banks to shop their loan package on their behalf. But what clients are typically getting is a small business loan, either they call it an express loan or a 7A loan. Um, So they are specific for finding or funding a business, I should say. So different type of loan package than if you need just a loan um, for whatever it may be, whether it be your home or just a personal loan. So it's a little bit of a different type of loan package. And the funding partners that we work with are helping our clients formalize that loan process. They're helping them put together the business plan. So we have tools in place to help them secure the best loan possible by going to these lending partners with all of the tools that they're looking for, like a complete business plan. That's excellent. And I and I can kind of speak from being a lender myself. One of the biggest differences that you'll see when you see a franchise-backed loan application versus an independent business or just someone who's looking to buy a piece of real estate is that the SBA and these franchise specialty lenders, they vet those franchises. They are already approved through the SBA or through the the specific bank that's doing the financing. They, they have, they've done their research already on the, on the franchise concept. They know it, they've approved it. And so all you're having to do is qualify your piece of it versus on a regular loan. If you're starting an independent business, that that package or that the business plan that you're that you're putting forth, it's got to be a lot more robust. It's got a lot ha- has to have a lot more independent research, and they also have to qualify both sides of that package and be comfortable with it. You and your idea. So a lot of the times they want to see proven success. They they don't want you to just come as a startup or as an independent business owner. Um, they want to see two or three years of success on what you've done so far versus with a franchise. That again, it's already, that's already baked in. So you have a leg up from a from a financial perspective as well when you're investing in franchising versus investing in your independent business. That's a huge benefit. <clears throat> I'm so glad um, you said that because there is a registry. Um, you're totally right. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. That these brands have already been vetted by the SBA. They know that they're reputable brands that they'll lend on. So now it's just making sure that they can provide the loan for the candidate and that they have the right liquidity and they have the right credit score and they have a good business plan. So it definitely saves them a lot of live work. No doubt. And I, and I'll get off my soapbox in a second, but I just think it's really cool because it also, they allow, they allow the, the asset to be fan or excuse me, the franchise is the asset. So they're utilizing the cash flow a lot of the times as that asset or how they're, how they're qualifying the financing versus a lot of the times these lenders want to see an asset 
a physical asset or something that they're financing and with people that are that are coming to them with an independent idea. Um, we we talked about it a little bit, but when you when we start talking about higher interest rates from banks, I think it also brings other opportunities in for, like you said, venture capital. You start to see other people that that start to deploy capital in these markets. Are you seeing non bank financing going up or non bank investment going up, whereas before it was? mostly, you know, banks that were lending to people when interest rates were two or 3%? Absolutely. Um, You know, I don't think my husband's in the private equity world. We have gotten more interest from VCs, family funds, different people that are looking to invest and fund things. Brittany and I are privately investing in franchise businesses that we're not running day to day. It's the first time we've done it that way versus being a boots on the ground franchisee. Um, we are seeing a lot of people that are deploying capital into franchising in a way and a lot more attention from the PE world, the VC world. To me, that is really going to float where we're at. I think it's giving the validity to franchising because I think franchising has kind of had this like almost the connotation of like, oh, that's cute. You couldn't think of your own business ideas. Then you bought somebody else's. It's kind of like, you know, people that are negative about sororities, those jerks, their fraternities, where they're like, oh, so they go buy your friends in college. You didn't have them. You just went and bought them. So it's like that type of mentality. Whereas now it's it's like, no, you are essentially taking out the year of planning that went into starting a business to however long you are dialing down the cost of goods because you're leveraging a system. You are letting somebody else make the mistakes and then you're stepping in and you're working in a highly scalable model where people have already built the airplane. You don't have to build it while you're flying. And you're able to bring the expertise that a franchisee has from so many different walks of life inside of any different system. And they are just working inside of a system that's already built. That's a dream. It's a dream. Sure. For, it's what it's what VCs and PE have been doing. They just haven't turned their attention to this yet. And we are suddenly seeing the pickup, the interest. We're seeing very, we're seeing people from outside of the industry. Franchising can be very insular. There are a lot of people in it. We always joke that, you know, the at at the email might change, but it's all the same people. You see different people at the conferences. We're definitely getting more attention from the outside space. And that's exciting. It's very much, feel, we feel like we're on the forefront of something big with private funders coming in and different people being able to get involved in this space. I, I got to admit, I used to be one of those guys that would joke with my friends about being in a, being in a sorority or fraternity. And I had one of them that turned <laughs> to me and said, said, hey, if I'm going to buy my friends, I'm buying the best friends that money can buy. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, okay, follow up to that. So in the housing market and in some of these markets where we have seen venture capital and we've seen some of these businesses actually going in and buying single family residences or they're buying other, you know, like we see it happening in the medical field where there where there's doctor's offices that are being, you know, all they're all coming together or you're seeing dental and different things like that. As you start to see more um, institutional money go into franchising, is it going to make it more difficult for the individual to to do it? Like, is it going to drive the cost of franchising up? I don't think so. I really don't. That's a good question. It's not something we've been asked yet, but I don't think so. We're seeing like the big PE firms that are going in and acquiring 
like I have a friend that works for a PE firm um, and all they do is acquire dental practices um, in Atlanta. And I think that those guys that are at that level, these big PE firms, they're going in and they're buying franchisors. And when they go in and they buy the parent company, they buy the franchisor, they're coming in with their capital and their expertise. And I think in a lot of ways, they're going to drive costs down for franchisees because they know how to build big businesses and economies of scale. And when they can bring on national vendor partnerships and reduce costs in supply chain or reduce costs for labor, I think that will help. So on the franchisor side, I think it's a huge benefit when VC and private equity get involved because I think it will add value to the franchise system and drive some of their personal costs down as franchisees. When family funds or VC funds are investing at the franchisee level, they are picking up a larger market, um, but I don't see that that's going to have any impact on what the investment range will be for franchisees. I don't know if you feel differently, Sam, but I don't really see that making that much of a difference either. No, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. The availability in territory, right? If you have a family fund or a VC coming in and they're looking at Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is, you know, they'll take the whole city. They're not going to take two locations. They're going to take 20. And so that it does affect the availability, certainly for individual franchisees in certain markets. But also anytime you have somebody buying 20 units of anything, immediately the stock rises because they're also going to plug in hundreds of thousands of dollars of marketing fund. And so now you have a brand that maybe is sort of known barely known that is on the national stage at a much quicker pace. And so if you're a franchisee, you know, with four units in Madison, Wisconsin, that's great for you because you have these bigger players and in other markets that are able to do that. So I think for the people that wanted to buy three units in Minneapolis, that's tough for the people that are excited to be owners of the same franchise as somebody that has, you know, 30 McDonald's out there pretty exciting. Right. No doubt. I, I, and that's kind of where I guess I was going with my question is that it's, and I understand completely what you're saying. I think it makes a lot of sense. If you're already in, or if you're in a smaller market, the fact that larger markets are potentially going to be bought by one large conglomerate, it's going to benefit you. But, but that person that are those people that are in that market that had a dream of maybe investing in that, or thought that that might be an option, it might not because you're going to be competing against some, some very large, large players, but that's with anything. I mean, if you're a, if you, if I wanted to open a hospital down the street, well, if I'm competing with, with, you know, the Ascension St. Vincent's of the world and the Baptists of the world, well, good luck to me. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um. What about the current labor pool right now? I mean, I've seen it affecting a lot of businesses that I deal with where they have, they're having a hard time hiring quality people. And when I say quality people, it's not like they're they're not trying to hire like incredibly skilled um, labor forces, but they are trying to hire people at a price point where they can stay profitable. How are, how are you guys seeing that in, within your business or within the businesses that you guys work with? It's probably the number one question that we're asked about. Um, First common is recession. Second common is personnel. Third common is supply chain. So from a personnel standpoint, I think there's two things that Sam and I think about and look at. We mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast. We love businesses that only require a small team. 
most of the businesses that we work with, you can open your doors with four to six employees. So it's not like you're launching a business that you need to go find a hundred people. So it's a small team of people. And then we're looking for franchisors that provide support around that. So they can't hire your people for you because of joint employment laws, but great franchisors provide systems and support around it, give you ranges on compensation models, give you ideal candidates, job descriptions. You know, you should recruit people from here. Um, They help with the training portion as well. So one of the things that Sam and I focus heavily on is understanding how is the franchisor going to support franchisees to find those key employees? But again, that small team. And when you have somebody specialized, take the sugaring business we were talking about. They have to have estheticians or cosmetologists that perform the work. You can build relationships with your local cosmetology schools to be able to identify these people. So great franchisors are coaching their franchisees on how to do this how to build those relationships, drop off donuts, get in front of them, do a lunch and learn to be able to recruit them out of school. So that's really important to us. Just great franchisors that know how to help franchisees with recruitment. And to bring this full circle, I think that that's where artificial intelligence comes in sometimes as well. It's where when you have simple simple tasks that can be done automated now, those are those are ways that you can eliminate some of the requirements for those jobs that you might not be able to fill in today's world. Completely agree. So is there any is there anything that we haven't touched on today that you feel that that's really topical right now? Something that you would like to share with my audience that you feel is just you know something something that should be important to you if you're considering franchising right now? What am I missing? I think there's got to be some soul searching, right? Because the thing we didn't cover is it's a great investment, but it's different than real estate. It's different than the stock market. If you're invested in the stock market, you may return at eight and a half percent, right? They're kind of, it's kind of your go-to guaranteed percentage. So if you're looking at a franchise business and it's going to guarantee, you know, there's no guarantee. First of all, it's business ownership. We don't have a guarantee on that. But if you're seeing that the average franchisee is, is pushing forward 25 and a half percent margins, that they're ROIing in 18 to 24 months, that's pretty exciting on any investment. But you have to remember the average franchisee is also working, maybe not in the business, but they're working on the business. And so if you don't have 15 to 20 hours a week to dedicate, if you don't want to be there in the business and be full-time in it or trust a manager and pay that person to be there, you can't have a $12 an hour employee managing your business for you, then this investment simply won't work. It's not going to be something that you can just hire a management company for like an Airbnb. You have to be more involved. You have to have 15 to 20 hours a week that you can truly dedicate to strategy, to managing a manager, to doing things. And I I think we would be remiss to stack franchising with every other type of investment and not mention that, that there is a bit more management than your typical portfolio, whether it be real estate or stock. Um, but the returns are typically light years ahead of what you're going to see in time to ROI and also percentage margins. So you have to decide, is it worth it for you to dedicate that time? How much are you going to pay yourself for that? So that's, I just want to make sure we highlight that as well. No doubt. It reminds me of the, of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
Um, and if and if anybody on that's listening to this hasn't picked that up and read it, it's absolutely worth the the several hours that it takes you to read. It's a quick it's a quick read, but um, you know it's it's a cat. You're investing in cash flow, and cash flow doesn't ca- cash flow doesn't make itself. You have to to your point, you do have to manage it, and it's but it's but it's worth it. It's absolutely it's if you're if you're interested, and if it's something that you have a passion for that you're excited about, it's absolutely worth it. So before we go, I wanted to 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 give you guys the opportunity. You guys have a great podcast that you guys do. Like you said at the beginning of this, you guys were recording today. Um, and you guys have an excellent social media presence as well. Um, if you guys would like to share with my audience a little bit about what your podcast is all about, what you guys do and where they can find it, I would I would appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to plug here on your podcast. No so we are the Fran Path Consulting Podcast. That's F-A-F-R-A-N-P-A-T-H Consulting Podcast. We're available on Spotify and also on Apple. We are also putting up YouTube full videos now against our will, but at the advice of our lovely CMO <laughs> um, on YouTube, you can find us at Frampath on every other platform and Frampath Consulting on LinkedIn. So we would love to open up a conversation with anybody that's interested. We have a learn more page um, on our website. So please feel free to reach out to us on any and all platforms. We're happy to communicate and answer any questions. And Sam, you do some really cool videos with your son as well that you put out on Instagram, right? I do. We do. We have them on Instagram and LinkedIn. Yeah, we're um, we're in the business of paying kids and we're, you know, we're, <laughs> it is definitely the best way. I know that people have concerns about putting their kids on social media, but if you're able to fill up an IRA for them and build a college fund and do that uh, at a tax discount to your business, my advice to all parents is get over it. So, (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I really want to thank you guys for being on the show. I I learned a lot myself. I hope the audience did as well. Um, And, you know, as always, I reserve the right to recall you guys and and put you back on the witness stand whenever you're ready. Thank Thank you you so much. You know, I think that we all want to do something that we enjoy and that we get fulfillment out of while we make a living. The service that FranPath Consulting offers gives you an educated, informed opportunity to figure that out if it's still a question for you. If you have any interest in potentially investing in a franchise concept, check out Brittany Bode and Samantha Schweitzer over at FranPath. You'll be glad you did. So if you'd like to learn more about franchising and diversifying your portfolio through franchising, email us at info at franpathconsulting.com. Follow the FranPath Consulting Podcast on Apple or Spotify. Please rate and review us five stars. You can also follow us on Instagram at FranPath, Facebook and LinkedIn at FranPath Consulting. Or go to our website, franpathconsulting.com, to take your free business assessment. Mm-hmm.